The Inconvenient Goddess, a novel by James E. Aarons, D.V.M. Narrated by Mary McGregor. Chapter 1. The Unbroken Circle Apollyon stopped and paused as he held his head and tail high. Cocking his ears and arching his neck, he looked at the line of intruders and bellowed his defiance. A majestic, awe-inspiring stallion, he was a master of the grasslands, resembling a statue made of deep, dark obsidian. Rearing and boxing with his front legs, he punched at the air like a prize fighter as he loudly proclaimed his kingdom and his dominance, yelling at the soldiers to go home, to leave him be. His nostrils flared as the sweat of fear and rage dripped from his neck and forehead. Turning to flee, he galloped toward the precipice, but he couldn't go far. He had to stop before he tumbled into the abyss. Digging all four heels into the ground, he skidded to a stop as he pushed his front legs straight out and flexed both hind limbs under his haunches. He was lucky today. A large rock broke his skid and saved the horse from falling five stories to certain death. But the rock was not so fortunate. Teetering briefly, it disappeared over the edge, making a tremendous crashing noise as it fell. More rocks rumbled and clanked mightily as they followed the boulder in its descent. Down they tumbled, down the face of the cliff, finally plunging into the swift river running fifty feet below. Suddenly the ground under Apollyon's feet disappeared as more rocks and earth gave way. In an instant an entire ten-foot slice of the earth plummeted out of sight. The stallion turned toward the soldiers as his world crumbled behind him. He still had a few feet of purchase atop the now triangular piece of precarious real estate, but really, there was no more than that. A command was given and the individual soldiers coalesced into a solid line. As they inched toward Apollyon, their shields closed together, giving the horse less and less freedom with every step they took. Now the stallion could see no escape. Unable to temper his unease, he pinned his ears back, snorting and pacing back and forth, back and forth. Apollyon was accustomed to the soldiers. Venerated as both a pet and a nuisance, he had been allowed to follow his whimsy as long as he maintained his manners, but now these men were a threat to his very existence. Running back and forth from right to left, he pushed the length of the corridor, keeping to the edge. What did they want? Why were they pursuing him? He had to decide which to do, die or surrender, jump or submit. Raising his head high, Apollyon looked about. Trotting worriedly to the right for twenty feet, he stopped and looked at the soldiers as they continued their slow and steady advance. He turned back again and ran up and down the ten-foot-wide safety zone, deciding between death and surrender. A human voice broke the standoff. Hello, Apollyon. How is my friend? It's me, Ishtar. A tall, slender woman emerged from the threatening wall of men. She stood relaxed and smiling as the stiff breeze twirled long strands of silky black hair around her face. Pressing her hand to her forehead, she shielded her eyes from the sun as she watched the magnificent horse. Ishtar carried herself with a composure that seemed studied, but was a well-learned facade she used to mask her shyness. She was born Katie Reynolds, of Navajo Anglo descent, and was raised on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. During her college and postgraduate years, she lived in California studying veterinary medicine. With her long black hair, dark flashing eyes, and light copper skin, she was strikingly exotic and mysterious. 
It was no wonder Katie had been mistaken for the goddess Ishtar. Only months before, she and her co-worker, Renee, were on a research assignment in Lalish, Iraq, when they took refuge in Ishtar's ancient temple during an attack by the invading marauders. The power of a grenade blast blew them into the very distant past. They were still in the Middle East, but the time was now late winter, 1328 B.C. Katie's sudden appearance, dressed in a royal-colored blue U.N. jacket, was taken as a sign. The goddess Ishtar had come to earth to show her pleasure in her loyal worshippers, and Renée, her consort, was there to look after their goddess during her time on earth. The soldiers are getting too close, Katie thought. They are spooking Apollyon. I have to be careful, go slow, and not push him any further. Katie tried to make a connection by locking Apollyon in her gaze. Her dark eyes asked him to listen, but he was too worried. He would not meet her stare. She turned to command the soldiers. Stop, she said. Back up and rest your shields. Do it quietly. Katie watched the Mariana, the soldiers, comply and paused, patiently waiting for things to become quiet. She closed her eyes and exhaled deeply. It helped her refocus. When the men were situated, she turned back towards Apollyon. The black stallion calmed when the moving line retreated. As he settled, he snorted at Ishtar, telling her he was listening, but he was not apt to stick around very long. He emphasized his statement by pawing the ground with his hoof. She understood and backed off more. She needed to appeal to his inquisitiveness and overcome his worries. She stood quietly and dropped her hands. Still, he maintained alertness, ready to flee instantly. As the minutes passed and Katie stood quietly, his eyes softened and his ears cocked forward. He was willing to dialogue, but only on his terms. Ishtar smiled, and the world brightened. Warmth emanated from her, and she began to hum. Now every part of her was focused on the task at hand. She knew any slight movement toward Apollyon would immediately cause his tenseness to skyrocket and make him dangerously jittery. He needs to calm down, she thought, and he needs to get away from the cliff. I have to find a way to coax him from the edge. Dropping her gaze, Ishtar turned and walked forty feet to the line of Marianu, waiting for their next order. She went straight to the captain in the center. Toma, I want you to arrange the men differently. Toma was a handsome Imanthulu, a young, robust fellow, with broad shoulders and muscular arms, and the officer in charge of his Imanti, his chariot unit. He nodded and listened attentively, his dark eyes watching her lips and her hands as she gave him directions. The young man smiled in understanding. He was at home among horses. Kikuli, the great horsemaster, was Toma's father. But Kikuli had never been able to capture this elusive, intelligent stallion. Ishtar had made a bet with Kikli that she knew how to accomplish it. So far, Toma thought she hadn't been doing all that well. He nodded his head, looking keenly into the dark, mysterious, smoky eyes of this beautiful woman. She was his goddess, yes, but he still thought she was a babe, a hottie. His demeanor softened whenever she was close. When he understood her directions, he turned to relay them to his men, while Ishtar returned to her task. The soldiers readjusted their positions. They were careful not to break the line, and moved as if they were connected by an invisible thread or magnetic force. The men on the farthest right and the farthest left began to move slowly forward. Carefully choosing their steps, they worked their way toward each other along the edge of the cliff, inexorably encroaching into the stallion's buffer zone. 
The line of soldiers who followed surely wondered if their tenuous place on the cliff edge was indeed the wisest place to be, if the stallion were to bolt and run their way. They would plummet to their death along with him. But no one faltered. Every one of the soldiers' eyes was on Ishtar, observing her, waiting for her signal to go or stop, to breathe or not. All the while Apollyon was not happy. Every time he blinked his eyes, something was different in front of and now behind him. They were moving and pushing at him again. His panic began to build. He could not bear to be kept. He had to leave. But she was there, standing quietly, keeping his gaze and humming softly all the while. He paused, feeling her confidence, and waited. At times he felt more curiosity than fear, but then his panic rose again. While Apollyon was worrying about scary shit and new possibilities, Ishtar stood unmoving, as twenty men quietly spaced themselves evenly to form a sixty-foot circle around her and the stallion. These were brave young men extremely eager to satisfy their Imanthulu, Toma, and their goddess, who watched closely and waited for just the right alignment. All the while she spoke soothingly to Apollyon, telling him that everything was going to be okay. Although he wanted to, Apollyon just could not trust this new woman in his life. He had never been this compromised before. Pushed, yes. Mildly compromised, yes. Severely compromised, no. He had never allowed a human to come this close to him, and he felt threatened. Yet she was here, pushing her way into his personal space and making all his alarm bells ring. His mind whirled with the ringing. Previous encounters had always been on his terms, but now he was about to lose this privilege. It was too much. He collected himself as a bowman flexes his bow ready to hurl his arrow into the sky. Ishtar sensed this, yet she knew she could not retreat. She had to break through and touch him and let him know it would be okay to connect. Just as he was about to explode, she signaled her imanti. Simultaneously, twenty soldiers hefted their shields overhead. Horses cannot see through an unbroken line of men, and now, everywhere Apollyon looked, there was a wall, a formidable, impenetrable barrier, which he could not see over. He was trapped. The only thing he could see was Katie, who continued to stand, straight and still, speaking and singing to him, softly, continuously filling the air with soothing sounds. It's all right. It'll be okay, Apollyon, she said, as her mind zeroed in on the stud's soft brown eyes, the gateway to his thoughts, the tell-all for his worries. She was calm and felt sure of herself. She had done this many times at home on the reservation, making round corrals from old posts and branches that had not yet been scavenged for kitchen fuel. So she settled in for a long session of utmost patience. Katie had created a perfect learning environment to convince Apollyon this new thing was going to be okay, that closeness to people was desired. She had plenty of time. Apollyon was unsure. Like any male with something to prove, he went into this with a blustery, arrogant attitude. Now he was caught. Well, not quite. He was trapped, but not caught. First he used his right to complain, holding his head high. He shouted and pawed out complaint after complaint, working into a new sweat, running back and forth in this new space, just as he had along the cliff. Ishtar waited. The Amanti waited, standing straight in their duty as fence posts. Everyone waited for Apollyon to become sensible. Finally he slowed and stopped to rest. All of this stress was tiring. He dropped his head and snorted, sending small twigs and leaves of grass skittering away from him. 
All the while his eyes darted back and forth as he panted and worried. He needed to get out of this predicament, and, once again, panic overtook him as fear regained control. Lifting his head high, he resumed the frenzied back-and-forth pace. Ishtar took another breath and waited. Although indignant and socially offended, Apollyon was not altogether insensible. Eventually he grew tired of this game, slowed his hurried pace, stopped his snorting, and began to strut around his area. He looked at her from the corner of his eye, just a quick sideways glance. But he could not see her eyes. Her head was down and she stood frozen, as if she were no longer there. He looked around his forty-foot circle and felt alone. And then he looked her way directly. There. He saw it. She moved. He jumped backward quickly like a scared puppy and threw out more piercing screams as he reared and pawed the air. But nothing changed. The wall remained. The woman stood immobile. Apollyon's unmanageable, runaway thought slowly subsided after the logical part of his brain told him to quit running around blindly. Striding about more sensibly, Apollyon looked towards Ishtar, but she still ignored him. He threw out a whinny to register his irritation, kicking his parade walk into an agitated trot, nervously swishing his tail. He looked at her, still tentatively, but more directly. His ears still moved here and there, but were no longer on high alert as his curiosity got the better of him. He was ready to investigate. Apollyon approached Ishtar from her right side. He was not ready to challenge her directly. There was no call for that, as she had neither been threatening nor menacing, and it would be rude to come up from behind. So he advanced towards her slowly and tentatively. Prescribing to an ancient, time-honored tradition, he employed utmost caution, moving only one foot at a time. First, lift a hoof, slowly move it in the air two feet ahead, then carefully place it down in a thought-out and concise manner. He performed this well. His feet appeared to move in slow motion. Slowly, carefully, Apollyon approached the goddess. She bent her head his way just a little and smiled as a few strands of her black hair fluttered in the breeze that blew off the point of the cliff. Apollyon inched closer to Ishtar. He could smell her fragrance as he extended his neck further and reached out to say hello. Ishtar cautiously moved her welcoming hand toward the mysterious, majestic stallion and briefly touched his neck. No human had ever touched him before. It felt as if an electrical bolt shot through him. He jumped and squealed and made a tremendous scene as he reverted back to panic and high-alert status. The mighty Ishtar waited patiently, remembering the bull called Apollyon a long time ago in vet school. She remembered him well. In fact, she named this stallion after that badass bull. He had the exact same in-your-face-I'm-a-bigger-badder-ass-than-any-of-you attitude. That bull had some type of repro problem. Yes, it was trichomonas, she remembered. A type of sexually transmitted disease like brucellosis. There, that's it, brucellosis. That's what was bugging her for the last week. The dead sheep she saw on her trip from Laliche, the abortion outbreak. She needed to focus more on that. That's why she was sent to Iraq in the first place, to stop the brucellosis outbreak. A wave of melancholy swept over her, while images of another lifetime replayed their stories in her head. Going to veterinary school, living with Rory, taking classes with Dr. Schwabe, meeting Renee, flying to Iraq, those were only memories. And some of them were just a few months old, but all of them carried with them the same particular horrible realization that she would never see that life again. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. 
You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick My Books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an e-book, as well as an audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.